0: You're listening to the Crop Disease Podcast. A podcast that will keep you up to date on how to manage common crop diseases faced by Australian growers. Here at the Centre for Crop and Disease Management, we've been pretty good at identifying cases of fungicide resistance and letting farmers know if they have it in the paddock. As good as this is, we've only been able to say if the resistance pathogen is there or not. Are not able to tell them exactly how much is there and what strategy will have the biggest impact in managing it. But we're getting closer. Hello, it's Megan Jones from the CCDM and I'm your host for the Crop Disease Podcast. Yes, it's true, we've had a little break. Did you miss us? Hope so. And to get back into things nice and easily, we're gonna kick things off with a CCDM research story. With me today is a CCDM researcher who is working to find out the frequency of fungicide resistance in the paddock. His name is Noel Knight. Welcome to the show
1: Noel. Hi Megan, great to be here.
0: Oh great to have you here. Um, So can you tell us a bit about yourself like why a career in agriculture science?
1: Yeah well I didn't actually start out with agriculture as the plan uh, but I just had a general interest in science. I grew up on a dairy and beef farm in Badua in Queensland in the Darling Downs and also had my mum with a GP surgery on the farm at the same time so I've ended up as a combination of those two jobs in a way, uh, turning into a plant pathologist. And that's been keeping me busy for the last 10 to 15 years, looking at predominantly cereal diseases with crown rot of wheat and uh, also beetroot leaf disease in the US for a couple of years, and now getting back into barley diseases and fungicide resistance issues.
0: So in a few words, can you tell us about this research you've been working on that's looking at fungicide resistance frequency?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. The fungicide resistance group here at CCDM has been working for a long time to create a foundation of knowledge around fungicide resistance, particularly in spot form net blotch. And has found that there's both DMI, so a Group 3 fungicide, and SDHI or Group 7 fungicide resistance uh, present in the populations in Western Australia in particular. And the latest project is now taking that knowledge to the next level in the field and trying to pick out not just when resistance is present, but how much and how prevalent that is in the field. And that's particularly important for understanding how control may be effective or ineffective. So this project aimed to investigate fungicide resistance in net blotch disease in growers' fields. And we're able to collaborate with Dan Taylor at DKT Rural Agencies to get access to a lot of these grower fields.
0: Ah, Very good. Um, So can you tell us what do you mean by fungicide resistance frequency?
1: Yeah, so within a field where we have those pathogen populations, there will be a small number that naturally have some sort of resistance. And that's just because of the larger genetic diversity. But generally, if they're very few, they're not a big issue. Once we start to apply fungicides, we have a selection pressure, and that can mean that more of that population will survive when fungicides are sprayed. So by understanding frequency rather than just presence, we get an idea of how much of that population is made up of a resistant type, and that potentially has an impact on how effective fungicide sprays may be.
0: Okay, that's very interesting. So what was your biggest finding from the work?
1: The DMI resistance appeared to be the most widespread and occurred at least 10% and much greater than that across each of the fields, Uh, while SDHI resistance seemed to be more regionally located, uh, which is probably good news in a way. Every field had greater than 10% fungicide resistance, which was either to DMI or SDHI chemicals, Or for some cases, the fields actually had more than 10% resistance to both. And that becomes quite concerning. And some of these were up to 50% frequency, uh, with the maximum being 90% resistance to DMI or 80% to SDHI in uh, two particular fields. And I think at that stage, you start to be concerned about the ability of that fungicide to control disease. And that's information that we didn't have before.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. That's a lot of information as well. And the range sounds like a big range from paddock to paddock. So why is looking at frequency of fungicide resistance so important?
1: Knowing now with these genetic tests what the frequency is, it really gives us an extra piece of information around how much of that resistance is present in the field. And by knowing how much you... Uh, fungicide resistance there is, you can indicate how effective a fungicide spray may be expected to be. And that boils down to a question that keeps coming up is, how do you know when fungicide resistance is an issue? And by having these new techniques and methods, we can provide a level of resolution on the fungicide resistance frequency, which can ideally lead to informed management decisions or evidence-based practice. And that's certainly the hope for where this ends up and ideally this is just the start with the next steps understanding the difference between those 10, 50 or 90 percent frequency levels in terms of control and what effects that might have in terms of management change or what could be the optimal choice in those conditions.
0: Actually you mentioned Dan Taylor earlier that you're working with him and funny enough I actually caught up with him a bit earlier. Um, he's from DKT Rural Agencies, he's an agronomist from the Celebran and Cunderdon areas of the wheat belt. And we talked a bit about fungicide resistance and what this research would mean to growers of the region. Should we listen to the conversation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's get Dan's perspective on this.
0: Sounds great. Okay, let's listen. Hi, Dan speaking. Oh, hi, Dan. This is Megan Jones from the CCDM. Thanks for coming on the show today. I hope you're well.
2: Yeah, things are going okay.
0: Oh, that's great. So have you always been an agronomist in the area?
2: Uh, I've been an agronomist in the area here, or f- this is my 16th season, um, based in the sort of Calabaran, Cundan areas. I've sort of spent equal time uh, located in both towns.
0: So can you tell us a bit about the growers in your region? What do they mainly grow and what sort of diseases do they usually have to manage?
2: Yeah, we're, it's, we're, well, I guess we'd still call ourselves a mixed farming area, so there is, there is still a percentage of, uh, of area that guys are using livestock as a, as a key part of their... Farming systems, but but that is becoming less. So cropping intensity has certainly increased in the last five years.
0: And what sort of st- what's the standard strategy for fungicide management?
2: Yeah, look, that's the standard strategy um, has certainly changed in the last three years. In fact, it, and our standard strategy had been similar for a long time. And as a result, we have actually seen some issues started to flare with fungicide resistance. So it, it is first and foremost in our minds uh, when we are. You know, discussing crop rotations and um, and and fungicide management strategies with growers, no, no doubt about that. Uh, it does vary for um, you know the different crop types we grow in, in terms of fungicide sort of management strategies, but I'd say probably the most pertinent one for us at this stage is probably barley, um, because we have had more issues with fungicide resistance uh, across a couple of different diseases in that crop now for at least the last five years. So barley does present the most challenges for us from a fungicide management point of view
0: yeah that's very interesting you say that Dan because in this podcast we are talking about fungicide resistance but in particular we're talking about a project that we did at CCDM where we looked at the frequencies of resistant populations in 20 paddocks so Noel mentioned earlier that you helped connect our research team to a number of different barley paddocks across the low medium rainfall zone of the wheat belt is that right
2: yeah, that's right. We, um, I guess I first noticed going back two seasons now, probably uh, 2019, we had some quite poor performance uh, of an SDHI fungicide product used as a seed treatment in a long-term barley on barley paddock. And this particular grower had grown barley on barley on this uh, part of his farm for many years um, due to some issues with salinity and other, um, other reasons. We he can't really grow any other crop types. Um, so, yeah, the, the grower got a bit comfortable in using this product, at the SDHI, and, uh, and hadn't followed up unbeknown to us with, with rotating other modes of action through the crop. So I guess yeah, we first came across it in 2019 with some poor performance on, on products and, and that prompted me to get in contact with the, the crew at the CCDM and uh, follow up further to try and sort of get on top of what was, and find out what was going on.
0: Yeah, so we've come a fair way now, haven't we? Um, with this new research project, we found that 20 paddocks had at least 10% fungicide resistant net blotch. Were you surprised to hear that result?
2: To break Noel's sort of research down further, um, like, I think he had, look, there was DMI resistance to spot tribe net blotch, um, w- which I was definitely not surprised about because the, the fungicide strategy for managing net blotch in Bali through, right throughout the central wheat belt, not just our area, has been largely DMI focused and DMI alone for over 20 years. Uh, we knew it was only a matter of time before the DMI resistance levels popped up. Um, they're probably, I guess, that wanted to sound like a Skype, probably close to where I thought they might be, or, you know, given how much DMI we have used. Uh, and the, I guess the other point to make is that th- those paddocks were targeted, you know, th- they were uh. on barley and so th- the fact we'd see fungicide resistance in those paddocks, um, it, it, from that point of view, is probably also not surprising.
0: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, fair enough. Um, so this research is the first to figure out the proportion of resistance in the paddock. Previously, we could only say if resistance was there or not. So how useful is this kind of information to your clients?
2: Yeah, Megan, it, it's a, a very useful information. Um, in fact, it's, it's the sort of information that we'd love to see available as a commercial service. Um, you, we could we could um, compile fungicide strategies for growers if we had that information at hand. Yeah. Uh, we could also use that information to manage fungicide resistance and, and keep it at bay you know, for as long as we possibly can. Um, fungicides, well, I guess, are very important for me to say, and, and we sort of do discuss with growers, are really, you know, they're certainly not the first thing we should be looking to in managing these diseases. Crop rotation and variety uh, are where we're looking first. and. I think the development of resistance and the release of the results from Noel and the team at CCDM's research has really rammed home in the fact to growers that, you know, rotation and choosing the variety that's going to have better disease resistance are the first step.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree with that. That's great, Dan. Now, I just want to give you one more question before we wrap up. So we're going into 2022. Will your growers be doing anything different in terms of fungicide management this year? Um,
2: We are, um, but it's a a process we've been on for two to three years, so most growers over the last year or two have um, secured seed and bulked up varieties with significantly better disease resistance, particularly for spot-type net blotch, so there's a lot of guys now looking to grow uh, Maximus, um, La Perouse uh, and some of these varieties, so that's been the major stepping stone for people to sort of get over and, and we are. You know, we will see wide-scale plantings of Maximus Barley this year in our area. The other strategy that's changed, we've moved completely away from using SDHI's uh, leading uh, prior to sowing. And I would say actually, we'd probably be hard pressed to use them in barley at all in the, in the next few years. Okay. Um, so we're looking at azoxystropin-based products banded at seeding um, to, to try and get us through to you know, stem elongation, um, where we have still growing varieties whether there's either barley that's quite close in the rotation or, um, or you know, the varieties with poorer disease resistance. Uh, and then we're trying to manage foliar fungicides a lot better also. So if we have got guys into the better varieties, uh, you know, we're avoiding the use of foliar fungicides um, where, we, where we can.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Sounds good. Hopefully 2022 goes really well. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk, to talk to me today and hopefully we can catch up again later. Thanks, Megan. It's been good. Great. Thanks, Dan. Okay. Bye.
2: See you later.
0: (laughs) So what did you think about that, Noel? It was interesting how Dan talked about how discoveries of fungicide resistance in the region has changed the way farmers use their fungicides, don't you think? I think it really shows the impact of the work.
1: And it is great to hear that information being used now to inform growers about their fungicide uh, resistance management, fungicide management in general, and their crop management, particularly for the spot form net blotch issues. And as we've been discussing, fungicide resistance can be challenging to detect until a fungicide fails. So the new techniques on frequency allow us to detect fungicide resistance before it becomes a field failure event. And certainly that's the hope. And that's what some of this management uh, conversation is about. And what it all ends up with is it aims to prolong the life of the available fungicides as they are a limited resource. And once something stops working, it becomes a really important issue uh, because that piece of the arsenal is then taken away. And what we want to do now, seeing how effective this has been in getting information out for growers and agronomists, is extend this method to fields further across Western Australia or even other parts of Australia to try and get a comprehensive snapshot of the situation in terms of fungicide resistance across the state and country.
0: Oh, sounds like a really great extension of the research there, Noel. Um, Actually, we're just about to wrap up this episode, but before we do, can you tell growers who may be listening, just in one sentence, the main takeaway message
1: from this research? Yeah well it comes back to the basics and while fungicide resistance is being increasingly detected and that can be concerning especially for spot form net blotch, it can be managed by selecting more resistant crop varieties, reducing inoculum, rotating crops and alternating and mixing the fungicide modes of action. And that can be more succinctly summed up as change can be tough to deal with, even for fungi.
0: Oh, absolutely agree. Change is tough for everybody, especially for fungi, I think, Noel. Very good. Um, So thanks for talking with me today. It was really great to hear about this research on frequencies in the paddock. And I can't wait to see where this path will take us in helping growers make more informed decisions. I really can't. So thanks so much.
1: Thank you very much. And it's great to get this information out there and we'll look forward to seeing where it can keep going now.
0: Absolutely so if you have a crop disease topic that you'd like us to cover then let us know you can follow us and let us know on twitter at the ccdm you can also sign up to our blog and get more information just like this at ccdm.com.au and if you like this podcast why not tell your mate or colleague about it go on well that's all for now you'll hear from us next month for more crop disease discussions see you then this podcast is brought to you by the center for crop and disease management a national centre co-supported by Curtin University and the Brains Research and Development Corporation.